the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Faith Talk 570 WTBN Pinellas Park and 910 WTWD Plant City. It's time for Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Paul was determined that that was not going to happen. That the future of Christianity and the gospel message of grace and faith in Christ were not going to be obscured and gobbled up by legalism and these Judaizers. And so he wrote this letter to the Galatians to try to win them back to the truth, emphasizing the true gospel and the freedom and deliverance from sin that it brings. And what we need to understand about this is that although this letter was specifically directed to a group of churches in the first century, God has used the message of Galatians to literally transform the world, and it will and can, by God's grace, transform us. That's the message of the book of Galatians. Your life can be transformed from a life of slavery to sin into the glorious freedom enjoyed by those who put their faith in Jesus Christ and trust in His all-sufficient redemption. We don't need to do anything more than enjoy all that Christ has provided for us. But that simple message had been distorted by some who came to the young churches in Galatia, preaching that it was necessary for Gentiles to obey the Mosaic Law in order to be saved. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter not only to refute this teaching, but beyond this to explain the freedom that Christ offers. In today's lesson, we'll look at the effect that this message of salvation by faith in Christ alone has had on the church, and also at what would have been lost if the message of the false teachers that infiltrated the church in that first century had prevailed. You are tuned in to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We're grateful that you have joined us for our class today. Pastor Steve enjoys these times when he can teach the truths of God's Word. He's been the pastor at Lakeside since 1981, and uh, Lakeside is located at 1893 Sunset Point Road in Clearwater, Florida. So if you're in the area, he would love to meet you. If you need service times, give them a call at 727-239-0306 or visit lakesidechapel.com. Now to lead our class, here's Pastor Steve. Understand this, if the false teachers of Galatia were allowed to get their way and their message of salvation by faith in Christ plus adherence to the Mosaic Law, if it had taken root and had become the dominant message in the church, then the truth of salvation would have been lost. Because the worth and value of the cross of Jesus Christ would have been invalidated. And that is precisely what Paul tells these Galatians in chapter 2, verse 21, which may be the most significant statement in the entire epistle. He says in chapter 2, verse 21, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. Those are powerful words. See, anytime something we can do is added to faith 
as a requirement for salvation, then we invalidate Christ's atonement. Because if salvation is dependent upon our performance in any way, then we're really saying that Christ's death is not sufficient to atone for our sins. In fact, why would Jesus ever go to the cross to die for our sins if there's something that I could do to merit righteousness with God? He really died needlessly. That's Paul's point. Listen, if you add works to faith, you destroy faith. Faith stands by itself. When the Bible says faith in Christ, it means faith alone, not faith plus something else. That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 11. If you add to grace, if you add works to grace, then you have works. Listen, if the message of the Galatian legalists, these Judaizers, had been the message embraced by the early church, then Christianity would have been robbed of the message of salvation in Christ alone and would have become nothing more than a minor branch of Judaism. That's all. The gospel message of grace would have vanished with the death of the apostles and then reemerged in, in some form of Christianized Judaism. You and I would be trying to observe the Sabbath and eating only kosher food and trying to work our way to heaven. We would have believed, as they said, that Christ was the promised Messiah, but our whole emphasis would have been on keeping Jewish rituals with no hope of ever being delivered from sin's bondage. But Paul was determined that that was not going to happen. That the future of Christianity and the gospel message of grace and faith in Christ were not going to be obscured and gobbled up by legalism and these Judaizers. And so he wrote this letter to the Galatians to try to win them back to the truth, emphasizing the true gospel and the freedom and deliverance from sin that it brings. And what we need to understand about this is that although this letter was specifically directed to a group of churches in the first century, God has used the message of Galatians to literally transform the world, and it will and can, by God's grace, transform us. You see, it was Paul's letter to the Galatians that is credited with igniting the Protestant Reformation. Not just the book of Romans, Galatians as well as Romans, because it was from studying Galatians I want to say Romans 2, but also Galatians, that the German monk, Martin Luther, discovered what had been obscured by the Roman Catholic Church for a thousand years, that salvation was by faith alone and not by works. Luther so embraced Galatians that he said he was wedded to it. You know what he called it? He called it his Catherine. That was his wife's name. It was his Catherine. He gave lectures on Galatians. He wrote a commentary about it that influenced countless others to see the truth of the grace of God in Christ. In fact, we sang the song for a thousand tongues that was written by Charles Wesley. It was the Wesley brothers who were converted through the reading, at least John Wesley was, through the reading of the commentary of Luther on Galatians. It was John Bunyan, the Puritan preacher who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, who also came to faith in Christ through Luther's understanding of Galatians. Here's what Martin Luther wrote. He said, I was a good monk and kept my order so strictly that I could claim that if ever a monk were able to reach heaven by monkish discipline, I should have found my way there. Isn't that a great expression, monkish discipline? All my fellows, he writes, in the house who knew me would bear me out in this. For if it had continued much longer, I would, what with vigils, prayers, readings, and other such works, have done myself to death. What Luther is saying is he worked so hard 
at trying to earn his way to heaven by what he called monkish discipline, that if he continued like that, he would have died. But his conscience was bothered. No matter what he did, his conscience was still troubled because he knew that he was not, no matter what he did, he was not good enough to be declared righteous by God. That, by the way, is what justification means. It's the act of God by which he declares the sinner righteous when he puts Christ legal righteousness on our account. Luther said, I I couldn't be declared righteous. I tried. I tried, but my conscience bothered me. And Luther remained in this troubled state until God revealed to him from his study of Galatians as well as Romans that being righteous before God had nothing to do with his religious performance, but it was based only on Christ and his atoning death. In his lectures on Galatians, here's what Martin Luther said. He said, I do not seek my own active righteousness. I ought to have and perform it, but I declare even if I did have it and perform it, I cannot trust in it or stand up before the judgment of God on the basis of it. Thus, I embrace only the righteousness of Christ, which we do not perform but receive, which we do not have but accept when God the Father grants it to us through Jesus Christ. And as I said, it was Luther's commentary that influenced the Wesleys and the whole Methodist movement and Bunyan as well. And Galatians is still impacting lives for Christ today. And it will change your life. It will alter your thinking and your behavior because this is a letter that emphasizes not what you need to do for Christ, but what Jesus Christ has already done for you. See, the message of Galatians is for non-Christians as well as Christians. It's not just a gospel message. You see, those who still need to be saved will benefit from this because it will clearly show them the difference between religion and the grace of God in Christ. But it is also a letter that profoundly influences those of us who are already saved by God's grace because it reminds us that Christianity is not about our performance, but about God's grace in Christ. And we need that reminding. Listen to these helpful words by Philip Ryken as he explains the relevance of Galatians for the modern reader, both non-Christian and Christian alike. It's a little bit long, but it's well worth listening to. He writes, Galatians is a letter for recovering Pharisees. The Pharisees who lived during and after the time of Christ were very religious. They were regular in their worship, orthodox in their theology, and moral in their conduct, yet something was missing. Although God was in their minds and in their actions, he was not in their hearts. Therefore, their religion was little more than hypocrisy. The Pharisees were hypocrites because they thought that what God would do for them depended on what they did for God. So they read their Bibles, prayed, tithed, and kept the Sabbath as if their salvation depended on it. What they failed to understand is that God's grace cannot be earned. It only comes free. There is a way out of Phariseeism, he writes. The way out is called the gospel. It's the good news that Jesus Christ has already done everything necessary for our salvation. If we trust in him, he will make us right with God by giving us the free gift of his grace. When we reject our own righteousness to receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ, we become former Pharisees. He continues, most former Pharisees have a problem, however. It's hard for them to leave their legalism behind. Although initially they receive God's grace for free, they keep trying to put a surcharge on it. They believe that God loves them, but secretly they suspect that his love is conditional, that it depends on how they are doing in the Christian life. 
They end up with a performance-based Christianity that denies the grace of God. To put this in theological terms, they want to base their justification on their sanctification. This means that most former Pharisees, indeed most Christians, are still in recovery. There is still something of the old legalist in us. Although we've been saved by grace, we do not always know how to live by grace. The gospel is something we received sometime in the past, but not something we live and breathe. Galatians was written for people like us. And so this morning, it is our privilege to begin a study of a letter for recovering Pharisees. What we want to do this morning is begin to examine Paul's opening words in this letter, which serve, note this, not only as an introduction, but which contain in seed form, in germ form, several key issues that Paul will address in detail in his letter a little bit later on. I want to read to you Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. We will begin this morning to get into this, but actually it will take us uh, two weeks to cover all of this. I can't recall in all my years of ministry ever taking two weeks to introduce a book, but this is how unique this book is. This is how filled with weighty truth it really is. He writes this, Paul, an apostle not sent from men nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins, so that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, every culture and every age has a certain format for the way letters are written. In our day, we usually begin a letter to someone by addressing the person or the people that we're writing to. Then we give them the content or the what we call the body of the letter. And then we end our correspondence with words like sincerely yours, and then we sign our name. But in Paul's day, in Roman circles, that was not how they did it. It was customary back then for the opening words of a letter to state the author's name, not at the end, but right at the beginning, and then the name of those he was writing to, and a brief expression of good wishes. And all of these elements are found here in Paul's opening lines to the Galatians. In verse 1, he introduces himself as Paul. He names his recipients as the Galatians in verse 2. And uh, as I said, meaning not just one church, but several churches. Several churches. This was a circular letter that circled and went through the four churches in that area. And in verse 3, he greets them with words, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's very typical. This is typically the way that Paul started all of his letters in the New Testament. However, understand this, his letter to the Galatians is different. It is distinct from any of his other letters in two ways. Number one, in every other letter that Paul penned to a church, he added a word of either thanksgiving or I'm praying for you or I thank God for you. Some word of commendation for some good characteristic that endeared his readers to him. For example, notice what he wrote. The Colossians, which is very typical. Just turn over a few books, past Philippians, and you'll see Colossians. This, I just chose this because it's so typical. Paul said in, in Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, Since we give thanks to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints. That's very typical of Paul. I thank my God 
on, upon every remembrance of you when I think of your faith and your love. And it's words like that. That's found in, in most of Paul's letters, but not here. Not in Galatians. There's nothing he commends the Galatians for. No words of commendation or thanksgiving or even a prayer for them. His opening words to them are abrupt, concise, and note this, even argumentative. This letter is an argumentative letter. And that really leads us to the second way that Galatians is distinct from Paul's other letters. Number one, no commendation. Number two, it's argumentative for a reason. Notice how aggressive Paul is in his opening line. He doesn't simply state, as he does in all of his other letters, that he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. Instead, he launches into a defense of the fact that he's a true apostle of Christ. Notice verse 1, Paul, an apostle, not, this is defensive, not sent from men, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. You won't find that language in any other of Paul's letters. He goes on the offense to be defensive. Now, why would Paul do this? Pay close attention, because this is really a key to understanding not only the opening line of this letter, but the first two chapters of the letter. This is what it's about. When the false teachers came to Galatia, one of the ways that they tried to lure these Galatians away from believing the message that Paul had preached to them of salvation by grace, trying to lure them to their Judaizing message of salvation by law-keeping, was this. They tried to destroy the credibility of Paul. They attacked Paul. This is a common tactic of false teachers, attack the truth by destroying the confidence that the people who've heard the truth from this individual had in him, just destroy his credibility. And the way these false teachers did this in Galatia was by denying that Paul was an apostle. They said he's not. They claimed that Paul was not a true apostle, that he wasn't one of the 12 apostles that Jesus had chosen and those who were in Jerusalem. They said he's a self-appointed apostle who came on the scene of Christianity later than anyone else. He's different from the 12. He's a Johnny-come-lately. He appointed himself to this office. He wasn't called and commissioned by Christ. And they said, the message that Paul preached to you That's not the message that the other 12 apostles preach. Paul's different. They said that Paul was simply an itinerant evangelist who had some, yes, some knowledge of Christianity, but who had deviated from the message of the other 12 apostles. They said he invented his own gospel of salvation by faith alone in order to please and accommodate the Gentiles. Remember, Paul was about the only apostle now preaching to the Gentiles. The others were preaching to Jewish people. And this issue really had not come up, but it had to come up preaching to the Gentiles. So they said, Paul invented this. He's just trying to please you. He's trying to infiltrate the Gentile world. And so he says, yeah, you don't have to keep the law of Moses, just salvation by grace. They said he's a phony. Now, it's against this background of having his authority, which is the real issue here, his authority as an apostle and his message of salvation by faith alone attacked, that Paul opens this letter to the Galatians by immediately addressing these issues. And he does it by addressing three truths, establishing these truths at the onset. He will reiterate and he will emphasize these three truths throughout his letter. As I said, it actually is going to take a couple of weeks for us to cover these three introductory truths, but here they are. Let me lay it out before you. This is the big picture. Truth number one in these first five verses, Paul will defend his ministry as being a true apostle. 
He'll defend his ministry. Truth number two is that Paul will define his message as one of grace and salvation, not of law keeping. And truth number three is that Paul will declare that his motivation for preaching was not to try to please the Gentiles, but for the glory of God. That's the only thing that motivated him. So now that we've come to understand something of the background of this letter, we want to get into the text and see how Paul deals with these attacks from these false teachers as he starts off by, number one, he defends his ministry as an apostle. Verse one, Paul, an apostle, not sent from men nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Notice the unique way that Paul begins this letter. He not only identifies himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ, which he does, as I said, in all of his other letters. He always says that. But here he actually, as I told you already, he defends himself as a fully commissioned apostle by stating that his apostleship did not come through any man, but through Jesus Christ alone. Now, why was this so important to state that he was a true apostle sent by Christ. Well, understand this. The term apostle is very important. Apostle, back then, was an official messenger, someone who not only represented his superior, but it was his authorized representative with full authority to speak and act on behalf of the one who sent him, sort of like an ambassador. In other words, to be an apostle of Christ was to have been chosen and trained by Jesus Christ, and sent out with the gospel, sent out to proclaim Christ's truth with Christ's full authority and endorsement as his official representative. During his earthly ministry, as you'll recall, Jesus chose from amongst his followers, he chose 12 men who he called his apostles. These men were given power to perform miracles of healings, to cast out demons, as signs to verify their divine authority as Christ's authorized representative, his apostles. You, we won't take the time to do this, but on your own, you can look up 2 Corinthians 12.12, 12, where Paul speaks of the signs of an apostle, miraculous signs, distinguishing that even in the early church, not all Christians did this. If they all did this, no one would know who's an apostle. Only apostles had this kind of power. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 say the same thing. Later, You'll recall, after Judas betrayed Christ, he was replaced by another disciple named Matthias. We read of this in Acts chapter 1, verse 26. So now you have back, you have the original, or or at least at this point, 12 apostles. But in addition to the 12, James, the Lord's half-brother, as well as Barnabas, Paul's colleague in ministry, were also called Apostles. We read this in Galatians 1.19. It tells us about James being an apostle. In Acts 14.4, it speaks of Barnabas being an apostle. And it was to this select group of men, these apostles of Jesus Christ, that Paul claimed he belonged. He was one of them. But the false teachers who came to Galatia said he didn't belong. He wasn't one of them. He wasn't appointed by Christ, they said but he appointed himself as an apostle. That's why Paul so vigorously asserts at the beginning of verse one that he was an apostle. Note this, this is in the text, not sent from men. What does he mean by that? He means that no group of men, including the elders of his home church in Antioch, or perhaps 
the 12 apostles in Jerusalem, had appointed him to be an apostle. Nobody, no committee did this. No one got together and said, let's say Paul's an apostle. Let's lay our hands on him and say he's the apostle Paul. Paul said, no, an apostle not sent from men. Nobody sent me of any human source. The false teachers that Paul was combating in this epistle had attacked his qualifications and his authority as an apostle to undermine his message. That's the background of Paul's impassioned plea for the new Christians in Galatia to recognize his apostleship and to respect his teaching of the simple truth that justification before God is by faith alone in Jesus Christ. In the next several lessons in this series, Pastor Steve Kreloff will expand on these two points and open up for us the significance of these facts in our lives. Thank you for being in class today. First by Verse Ministries is dependent on listeners like you who have been blessed by these Bible studies. Would you consider becoming a prayer partner with us and pray daily for the program? Your financial support would also be greatly appreciated. Both are needed to keep this ministry on the air. Our email address is contact at versebyverseradio.org and our phone number is 727-239-0306. Our website is versebyverseradio.org. Once there, you can listen to today's study and many others by clicking on the message archive. Download as many messages as you'd like. They are free for the taking. We want to help you in your daily walk with Christ. Our phone number again is 727-239-0306. On our next verse-by-verse program, we'll continue with the study in the book of the Galatians. Be sure to join us. I'm your announcer, Jerry Peterson. Deepening your faith. The Lord came call from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy. Don't hurt him in any way. Now I know. Question. In your defining moment, does God know? Faith Talk 570 and 910 WTB. Three star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to, he understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.